You are now tuned in to the Believe Network. Do you believe? You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. The essential amino acids that we need um, make up all the protein our body requires that it can't make itself. Um, Both animal protein and plant protein have all of those amino acids. The only issue with uh, plant protein is that a lot of sources have less of certain, like the ratios aren't ideal for what our bodies need. And it generally tends to be harder to digest and absorb. So if you're going to get your protein from plants, you need to eat a little more and you need to be mindful of the sources because you want to make sure you're not skipping like methionine, just not getting enough because you're choosing all the sources that are low in methionine, for example. Life, it is such a wonderful experience. And without health, we can't enjoy all that it has to offer. If you haven't heard, our family has a new supplement line with our name on it. We are so proud. Check us out. At hardwick.life, it's like hardwick.com, but instead of .com, it's .life. We have been taking these exact pharmaceutical-grade supplements for several years now. We are waiting on our shipping and fulfillment process to get up to the quality and the standard that we expect and that you expect. And now it's on point, and we can't wait for you to try. We love the enhanced immunity they offer all of us. I put my body through the ringer with football. I love knowing that I'm doing everything in my power today to ensure that I'm giving myself the best chance possible to live that fulfilling life along with my family. Check check out these pharmaceutical-grade products and new family-friendly recipes posted all the time, both on our Instagram and online at hardwick.life. Hardwick.life, foundational elements for a fulfilled life. Check them out. You guys know this. If you follow my stories on Instagram at Nick Hardwick, you better be following along. What are you doing? Then you already know I post almost every meal that I eat. I do that to show that health, maintaining a fit and active body and lifestyle, it's not a trick. It's just consistently making really good choices. One choice I've made almost every single morning since 2017 when this company was founded, Bubs Naturals Collagen Protein and MCT Oil Powder. One way or another, I've used them religiously almost daily. I swear by it. You're going to love it. Super good. No other collagen brand can claim to be 100% NSF certified. If you are in the San Diego area, products are now available at all Barron's Markets. Stop in, pick some up today. See how conveniently health can fit into your life. I love it in a coffee. I also love it. I make this really nice green tea, a matcha green tea latte. It is absolutely fabulous. Put a little protein in there, a little MCT oil, and then they got this little whisk stick. It's perfect. If you don't have a Barron's near you or you don't want to go to the store right now, totally get it. Order it online at bubsnaturals.com. You can also check out their blog for creative recipes at bubsnaturals.com. Use the code. Check this out. They're up in the ante. Hardwick 20. Hardwick 20 for 20% off your order. Welcome back into the Finding Center podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Melissa Davis. Dr. Davis holds a PhD in neurobiology and behavior and has 10 years of research experience. Her work has been featured in Scientific American. She's been published in high-impact, peer-reviewed journals, 
and recognized by faculty of a thousand. She has made a lifelong scientific hobby of studying sports science as a lifelong athlete and scholar. Her specialty is helping clients learn to effectively utilize the tools she gives them to lose fat, gain muscle, and perform better. She did an extensive review of the Netflix documentary, The Game Changers, which we will get into in detail. We will discuss, as her article, The Game Unchanged, states, what the creators of Game Changers got right, what they got almost right, what we just don't know yet, and what they got dead wrong. Now, believe me, this is not an anti-vegan podcast, so please don't tune out. If you want all the good vegan information, Dr. Davis is an expert in designing vegan diets. She wrote the Vegan Template for Renaissance Periodization, or RP Diet. If you're interested in those RP Diet templates or the app, check them out at renaissanceperiodization.com. Use the code, check this out, Renegade10. That's going to get you 10% off of RP templates or their eBooks. And if you're new to macros, the simple diet templates are a good idea so it doesn't overwhelm you with precision on the or the timing aspect of it. And for the app, the code gets you guys $9.99 a month for the first six months before it goes back up to the normal price of $14.99. So make the most of that. Don't worry, I'm going to ask Dr. Davis plenty of questions as it relates to how to do the vegan diet properly. As I have done vegan before multiple times, most likely we'll do it again at some point. But the diet itself comes with its own complications and challenges that you should know before kind of going down that road. You can find that full critique that we're going to talk about of the Game Changers movie titled The Game Unchanged at the link in the podcast information. All right, without further ado, let's welcome in Dr. Mel Davis. All right, joining us now on the Finding Center podcast, it's Dr. Mel Davis. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am fantastic. So my good buddy, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, put me on to you because I've been getting so many questions about the Game Changers, and I, I yes. air quote this, documentary. Right. Do, he said, okay, I've got somebody really qualified to handle this because you wrote a 60-page piece Indeed called I The did. Game Unchanged in response to the Game Changers documentary. What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, so it started out, I work with a lot of clients at Renaissance Periodization. How That's how I know Spencer. Yes. Um, and I started getting, like you were saying, inundated with questions about, should I go vegan? Is that the best choice? Do I need to do that? And I kept hearing about this documentary. As a nutrition coach, I don't generally go to Netflix for nutrition information, so I didn't even know what it was. So I was like, okay, I have to go watch this so I can reply to these people. And I started watching it, and after 15 minutes, I turned it off, and I was like, I can't stand this. It's so unscientific. It drove you wild? Yeah, and then I was like, okay, let's go back. You can do this. And by the time I finished watching it, I was, I just thought I have to write a response to this. There's so many things wrong. They had a chance to do something really right and explain how you can be a great athlete and be vegan, and instead they went the other way, full propaganda, and yeah. So how many times did it take you to watch this thing to write your response? I mean, so it was so painful you couldn't watch it. Yeah, but and then I than watched 15 it minutes, like and then you probably six times. Oh, yeah. good lord! <laughs> <laughs> so was it painful every time you watched it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I think is important to note, which Game Changers completely got wrong, you wanted to make clear in your critique of the documentary, was that you actually do have a vested interest in the vegan business. <laughs> they do too. What's your interest in the business? Yeah, so I created, um, we have diet templates that are sort of do-it-yourself 
diet templates at Renaissance Periodization, and I created a vegan version of that and optimized the protein and the macronutrients and everything for a vegan diet, and even made like a calculator to get complementary amino acids and stuff. So I did a lot of research, and I make a lot of profit off of those, but... um, but you I, went anti-disclosure. <laughs> yeah. This is like, okay, so this is part of my business in right. a way that you make income. Right. Yet you had to make it clear as a scientist that that was... It's not the it's, only way to be it, healthy or it's fit. A dis- yeah, yeah, it's a disclosure. And so what's the, the game changers, the people who produced it, what's their interest in it? Yeah, so there's, if you go to, um, actually Lane Norton has a full list of everyone involved in the, if you go to Lane Norton's site, um, everyone yeah, bio involved. Lane. Bio Lane, yeah. On Instagram. He's a great one to follow. Yeah. He's got YouTubes and all that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good memeologist too, up there with Spencer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got a list of almost every single person who contributed in any way to the documentary has some kind of vegan business or vegan product, which is kind of hilarious because they, in the end, start criticizing um sponsorship by dairy company for research and things like that and right. claiming bias whereas they're sitting there creating a documentary with a clear bias and a clear vested interest so, so when you think about the the movie because I'm, I'm done calling it a yeah, documentary like for now when, yeah when you think about <laughs> the movie that they made what would be like in a broad sense because i know there's you can pick apart almost every scene that they kind of unfolded there right in a real technical manner but in a broad sense like What's the big problem with the movie? Yeah, to me, the overarching issue with the movie is that they very heavily imply that veganism will make you a better athlete and that not being vegan will make you unhealthy and not as good at athletics. So that's a totally unfair um, thing to say. And I don't think, to to their credit, they don't say it outright, but it's so heavily implied that there's no one who watched it who didn't get that message. Yeah, and they do it in such an anecdotal manner, right? So it's like, they kind of go for, and and what I was watching is and felt as they were doing it, and this is the implications that they were going after, is like, they go after the manliest men they could possibly find, like the UFC fighters, the football players, the former special operators, the strength men the bodybuilders they in a lot of them were men especially early on in the documentary that they're like you can still be a very manly man right and be vegan which i think is a fair point to make the problem is there are also omnivores who are excellent athletes and manly men so saying that veganism gets you there better than anything else is the unfair part yeah and there's so many things in there like that like conor mcgregor the the anecdotes that they use with him fighting nick diaz who was vegan at the time of their first match that one's my favorite because by the time the document the movie came out they had had a rematch and it went the other way whoops yeah yeah exactly (laughs) not to mention masvidal knocked uh Diaz out and Masvidal's into meat. Exactly. And what they also didn't talk about either was that Connor, when they were talking about him being such a steak eater during that whole time, was that he was trying to gain 20 pounds to fight two weight classes (laughs) up up against Nick Diaz. And he punched himself out because he was having a lot of success early. It's like, we didn't factor any of this in. It was just like... They took some sound bites, right? Of his, which I guess is one of the things in your critique of the documentary is that they did a lot of cherry picking. Very describe much, yeah. cherry picking to me, if you so. Will. Yeah, absolutely. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and I think people who aren't deeply involved in science don't entirely understand what it means. Basically, what it is is you go look through the literature, and it's a, it's an easy thing to do. It's something I found myself doing as a young grad student before I really understood science you go with your bias or with this preconceived notion of what you're looking to find evidence for and you start 
digging through the literature and reading and like anything that doesn't quite fit, you throw out and everything that fits, you pull in. So then it's kind of like a little diagram that I dropped into um, the critique. There's a picture of a cherry tree and it's all red cherries and there's one blue cherry. If you pick off the blue cherry and say, I found a blue cherry tree, you're not quite correct because the tree mainly produced red cherries. Yes. So that's sort of a good analogy. By to the way, it. we have a link to your critique. Oh, great. Yeah, it'll be in the bio, the information of this podcast. So everybody, if you want really in-depth information on this critique and you pick it apart almost minute by minute. Yeah, I actually, there's minute marks in the critique. So if you want to watch along and really suffer, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so in the scientific world, so you talk about cherry picking, where does anecdotes fit in the whole thing? And then how do, right. how do we like categorize what's better science and what's right not. so there's actually a pretty agreed upon general hierarchy of what scientific evidence supports um, relationships between you know ca not necessarily cause and effect but there's definitely two things are related okay and so anecdote is going to be not even in that realm anecdote is kind of the thing that inspires a scientist to start an experiment because they start hearing stories like oh these people say you know after going vegan they felt stronger and faster like Maybe there's something to it. We should test it and find out because anecdote can be like the example I wrote in the critique is a really stupid one. You wear a red shirt, you go outside, it rains. Do red shirts cause rain? Don't know. Need to test it. So that's where anecdote lies. And then from anecdote and case studies a tiny bit better because you get an actual scientist looking at an anecdote and trying to figure out what are the other variables might be involved. But when you start getting actual evidence that you can trust a little, cohort studies are kind of the next step. Okay. And what that is, is when you take a big group of people and you just ask them questions, basically. So there's a lot of bias and variables that could come into this. People do lie. If you've coached anyone in diet, you know that. I'm sure. Um, so people lie. They forget things. They misreport. Uh, there can be things affecting, like, for example, early studies showing uh, veganism is very healthy were sort of different because back in the day, vegans were the only people who went to the health food stores because that's the only place they could get vegan products and things like that. So you have these other variables that are affecting health. You know, they might be more likely to exercise. So um, the next- they're health conscious people. Right, yeah. yeah. So there's, you just can't know for sure. Cohort studies are a good start though. And then from there you can do actual experiments that are controlled and blinded and eliminate bias, and then you can do uh, meta-analyses of all of those studies, and then you can feel really confident. And the meta-analysis is the, the um, big one. Yeah, the meta-analysis will take sometimes hundreds of experimental and cohort studies and look at all of their conclusions. And if those conclude the same thing, then you can start to feel like, okay, there's really a relationship here that we can count on. All right, so let's start with this as we're talking about kind of picking this whole thing apart other than kind of the categories of what good science is or not. And, and this was the first thing that I'm like, okay, this is stepping into my world now and this is wrong. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't claim to be, but I do talk to really smart people all the time. But it was when they had the team physician of the then St. Louis Rams right. and the St. Louis Cardinals on talking about football players eating fatty steak the night before a game. <laughs> Which is not true, by the way. Like, <laughs> I was a football player. We loved to eat steaks, but we knew not the night before to a game. A so we'd have it Thursday yeah. night. We'd go out with the guys. Or Friday night, we'd go out with the guys. Game was on Saturday afternoon. Or, sorry, Sunday afternoon. Uh -huh. But the night before the game in the hotel, we'd always have a pasta bar, like a served pasta right, bar. So there'd be, yeah. there'd be somebody back there loading up every different kind of pasta yeah. you could imagine with the sauces and lean meats on there. And so... We knew as football players, like steak and 
protein for that matter, did not fuel the energy on the field. There's a reason guys are drinking Gatorade during a game. It's to replenish the sugar stores. Like, we knew that. And so when this doctor was on there saying it, I'm like, hold on, man. This isn't all my world, but that (laughs) that is is my world. Like, you're portraying football (laughs) players as idiots, and we're not that. So I guess we we should kind of start with, like, what's protein's role in the body? Let's start there. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought there's a a funny quote from James Wilkes in the document in the movie uh, where he says, I was so surprised that they could get enough energy without any meat and i was like your basic nutrition understanding is flawed then because that's like your first class in nutrition you know carbs are the main generator of energy protein supports muscle mass and enzymatic reactions in the body so back to your question what does protein do so we need protein even if we don't want or care about muscles which we should uh we need protein for all of the functions of the body because enzymes are built from protein so any reaction that happens in your body digestion everything that goes on requires protein just to keep you functioning. So you need it for that. On top of that, if you're an athlete, you need to consume enough protein to replenish uh, muscle turnover. So you lose a little muscle mass all the time for various reasons throughout your life, and you need to keep eating enough to replenish that. So that's the main And is there a difference between plant protein and animal protein? They're not essentially. So the essential amino acids that we need um, make up all the protein our body requires that it can't make itself. Um, Both animal protein and plant protein have all of those amino acids. The only issue with uh, plant protein is that a lot of sources have less of certain, like the ratios aren't ideal for what our bodies need. And it generally tends to be harder to digest and absorb. So if you're going to get your protein from plants, you need to eat a little more and you need to be mindful of the sources because you want to make sure you're not skipping like methionine just not getting enough because you're choosing all the sources that are low in methionine for example but overall the body can't really discriminate between if it's getting a plant protein source or an animal protein if you give it the same amino acids as your body does not know okay so talk about you were talking about maybe the challenges of getting all the protein you need from the vegan Mm -hmm. diet and kind of the balances so i know we've got people out there who are interested in going vegan give them a little bit of Maybe the challenges associated with doing it and kind of doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. So to do it right, you need to educate yourself a bit on what your protein sources, what amino acids they're low in so that you can make sure you're kind of balancing those out. So for example, peanuts and wheat protein are kind of complementary because the amino acids the peanuts are low in, wheat is higher in. So if you mix those two together, you've got a complete protein for your meal and your solid. And just to rewind a moment, if you're if this is just for health, it matters much less. But if you're an athlete, you have to be a bit more careful because the amount oh. and quality of protein you need to maintain muscle mass is a little different than just to survive. Um, but yeah, the other thing you need to do if you want to be vegan and athlete is probably bump up your total protein consumption by about 20% just because you're going to be absorbing about 20% less based on studies that they've done. But the combination isn't super important if you're just going for the health yeah. aspect. If they're just going okay. health, making sure across the week you're getting all of the amino acids, you're probably totally fine. Got you. So changing up kind of the plant sources yes. that you're getting yeah. it from will yeah. help kind of alleviate the concerns with that. Yeah. Okay, so one other thing that was really unclear in the movie for me was it seemed like they were trying to show the vegan diet was better for athletic achievement or, and I wasn't sure if they were going for better for athletic achievement or better for health, but then they highlighted that vegan strongman. 
Yeah. He may have been strong, like super strong, yeah. but he did not look healthy at all to me. Most like there was a lot of <laughs> abdominal fat in there, and I thought that can't be healthy. So I guess most strong it, it, men are, do not look super healthy. That's it's probably typical. not healthy to be that big and that strong. I mean, there's it's just a lot of a lot aspects of that, that. Yeah, there's a lot of aspects of that that aren't healthy. So it's possible, right, to be vegan and to be unhealthy at the same oh, time. Oh, absolutely. Vegan yes. does not necessarily doesn't mean automatically healthy. confer health. Yeah. Okay, so what is it? What immediately comes to mind when you think of the health benefits of the vegan diet versus the omnivorous diet? Yeah. So one of the um, things that can happen that that sort of can make veganism default healthy is that people tend to start eating more fiber and more fruits and vegetables. And eating lots of fruits and vegetables and lots of fiber has been shown to be super healthy, whether or not you eat animal protein. So when you talk about health overall, and we talk about the omnivorous diet, sometimes I think people get it misconstrued. Is this true that, like, I think eating meats, if, if my head goes, okay, eating meats is bad for me, I'll switch out the meats for plants, but in reality, just adding, adding the plants, plants yeah. is the real source. What's the literature say on that? The, the literature is almost, most of the literature that um, they cited in the documentary actually says not that being vegan is healthy, but that eating um, plants is healthy. Most of the studies, the subjects are not vegan or vegetarian. They're just feeding them extra blueberries or extra, you know, beetroot juice or whatever on top of their omnivorous diet and the makers of the game changers decided to take that and say hey be vegan which is a bit of a okay stretch. so the the <laughs> studies that you were looking at for the the critique that you wrote a lot of them weren't even vegan yeah there's a there's a part in the documentary and the the minute mark i can't remember but it's in the it's in my critique um they show like a blood vessel in the endothelium and they list 19 studies and there wasn't a single vegan subject in any of those studies it was purely looking at the effect of adding berries or cocoa or tea to endothelial function. Yeah, so that was the part of the movie that I'm like, okay, this is way over my head, yeah. this endothelium. And it's very and I, convincing. Right? And I thought they did it for a reason. Like, looking back at it, I'm like, they did that for a reason. Yeah. There was a couple of things that they threw in there, and I thought it was very sciencey, and it was to go, okay, this is, so it's over people's head, but they're like, wow, that's convincing. Right. Okay. Yeah. If if for nothing else, that is super convincing. Yeah. The cloudy so, blood part is what yeah, that's so many the one. people ask me about. That's the one, and I think they did such a good job with some striking images yes. that last in your yeah. head, and it's hard to get rid of the visual like, representation. Oh, but my blood's like, cloudy. Look at these vials. What what can we make of the cloudy yeah. vials? So first... So, yeah, I mean, we'll <laughs> tell people if they didn't watch it yet. It's right, like, yeah. So, okay, so basically what they do is they have these three guys. Um, two of them eat a burrito with meat in it, in the meat, beef and chicken, I think, and the third one eats a burrito with only vegan protein. And then they centrifuge their blood, and they show that the plasma is really cloudy in the people that had the meat burritos. And they're like, oh, no, cloudy blood. What they never do is explain to you whether or not cloudy blood is bad, why it's bad. Um, It was just like, look, it's obvious to see, which to the untrained eye, you're like, well, the clear looks better A guy in a lab coat is telling me this cloudiness is bad, so it must be. So that was, yeah, very convincing. Um, Props to them for great propaganda. But... The truth is that any fatty meal that you eat, you digest the fat, and then the fat is transported in your blood because that's how digestion works. You digest macronutrients, they go into your bloodstream, and they're taken to your body's tissues, So whether it's plant fat or animal fat, it doesn't doesn't matter. matter. It's going to show up the same. Yeah. 
And they've actually, in the critique, I have a bunch of study list, studies listed where they showed increased lipemia for certain types of plant, pro, or plant fat versus other types of plant fat that were different, and cases where cheese versus palm oil were the same. And there's basically, there is a difference in fats and the lipemic effect, but it doesn't, it's not divided uh, along animal plant lines at all. So by not discriminating or not showing us rather like what the macronutrient content was right. of the specific burritos that they were given these guys, right? that kindly, I guarantee when, when you're a scientist watching it, you're like, that, that's, totally the one thing, that's the one yeah. thing that I understood that it was completely uncontrolled, yeah. that we weren't, we had no knowledge of what the fat content, what the protein content or the carb right. content was of the different burritos. And I so guarantee like, you if it. they had taken the football players in the end eating the Impossible Burger's blood afterward, it would have been nice and cloudy because now those have thing, a ton of fat. That whole thing was like they were trying to connect one guy who was, by the way, obviously had a business interest mm -hmm. in claiming to be vegan. <laughs> right? So it's uh, Derek, uh, Derek Morgan. Yes. Yeah. And his wife was running a vegan cooking right. business and meal prep business and so of the least healthy vegan food that you can possibly imagine <laughs> yeah so explain that real quick because yeah. it's like hey it's vegan it's healthy right. they were sitting there eating and i think that's the part of this that makes me angry because a lot of people are like well what's the harm if people go vegan there's no harm in it they might actually be healthy and i'm like the harm is people believing that vegan itself means health and then going out and getting an Impossible Burger that has more saturated fat than a regular burger, eating a bunch of whatever they have, truffle mac and cheese and like peanut butter vegan cheesecake, all the, of those yeah, all things the desserts that were thrown on yeah, top, yeah, have all of the the actual components of food that have been associated with ill health effects like super high fat, saturated fat, trans fat, things like this. They even added one of them. Um, they talked a lot about food and cancer, and one of the, actually the the main things that we've concluded is associated with cancer is smoked foods. And they even added smoked sauce to the Brussels sprouts. I was like, this is too perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that because I was going to ask you about it later. But since you got into it, the smoked foods, that, yeah. that was a really interesting thing for me. But the cancer component of all of this, and I think yeah. that's what a lot of people, when they think about going vegan, it's to eliminate heart disease. Mm -hmm. It's to eliminate the risk or to decrease, I guess, both of the risk of heart disease and cancer. Yeah. And then we'll leave, we'll shelve the environmental or the yeah. ethical implications because that's a completely Hold different topic. Yeah. But when it comes to the, the heart disease and the cancer risk, does being vegan, if done poorly, lower any of those risks? Or does being vegan lower it beyond yeah. what, say, somebody who's doing the omnivorous diet correctly yeah. would it's, look like? It's hard to say if being vegan and doing it poorly does anything just because there's no all. data but it's unlikely based on the bulk of the literature that that makes really strong so some of the things that are most so give, maybe give it right like right it, doing an omnivorous diet right and doing a vegan diet correctly right there should be no difference okay. based on the literature yeah for health yeah and then go back to the literature for like lowering heart disease and lowering cancer risk yeah so one of the major things that are associated with cancer risk are adult body fatness and alcohol consumption and lack of exercise and things like that. So it seems like if you're eating a healthy diet of any kind and keeping your body weight low and not drinking too much alcohol and getting some exercise in, your chances of getting cancer are going to be the lowest. Um, cancer is a tough one because you can't do, obviously, you can do it in animals, but in humans you can't do controlled experimental trials and try to give people cancer, right? So yes. all we have are cohort studies where people are saying like, 
this is what I usually ate, and then watching them for years and seeing if they get cancer. So those are kind of complex because there's so many different components of different foods and habits change over lifetime, but there's a ton of literature, and none of it really says meat or not meat is better or worse. In your critique, there were a couple of studies that you pulled, and I guess your own kind of commentary on top of that that went to processed meats and to red meats, yes, however. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. That's I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot. Um, that's really important. That is that is pretty solid. Processed meats in particular have been associated with a lot of negative health outcomes, and it's been a pretty consistent um, observation over time. So it's you can feel pretty safe eliminating or reducing your like hot dog consumption. Got, so when we yeah, when you say processed meats, yeah. what are all are we talking about? Hot dogs, salami, sausage, things like anything that's gotten like chopped up, processed, and put back together. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about like a like a cured, like a prosciutto or something like that? That's kind of hung to dry. That would but I guess probably that kind of comes be, maybe yeah, into smoking. Smoked. Yeah, if it's smoked, then that's probably a bad idea. There's probably like kind of a. Um, range of processed meats okay they don't usually do like do you eat this brand of salami right. in the studies right so there's uh probably from like ground beef being barely processed to something like a hot dog being extremely processed and then to to kind of go f a little bit further down as i was reading at the processed meats and like cooking at really high temperatures yeah. was another one yeah does the grill factor into that it does sadly. like if you if you yeah if you could avoid yeah. a grill i guess would yeah. you would you recommend doing that? so there's actually a cool study which i my husband and i barbecue chicken like every week so yeah. when i was reading that i was like no oh, our I meal gotta, prep is so easy I gotta give it up oven baked chicken is so gross um but if you marinate in things like lemon juice, alcohol, I think olive oil was another one, it seems to reduce the com the harmful compounds produced by 90% or something like that. So okay. as long as your marinade is solid, you're good. Oh, good. Yeah, so you Which didn't like have to completely scrap my the grill. Meal prep, yeah. I was like, no, this is such a fun socializing <laughs> thing <know>. to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there were a couple of others that I thought were like opposite of what most people's conception uh -huh. would be which is like white meat yeah. may have health benefits yeah fish i think a lot of people a lot of people kind of know have yeah. have known that and i'm sure certain types of fish are better than others yeah. the low mercury ones the low right yeah ones, you've got the other side shallow of water to worry cold about water is yeah. all good but then dairy was another one of those so talk a little bit if yeah. you would about like chicken or, or white meat rather poultry and then also the dairy, because I thought that was fascinating to me to learn that they may actually an interruption once again. So while you're waiting this out at home with us, you can still have some fun betting online. Check out my friends at betonline.com. How long do you want to bet this COVID-19 quarantine lasts? I don't know, a month, 45 days, 60 days. What are we looking at? I know no March Madness or any of your leagues, but betonline.com still has hundreds of places to wager. Their online casino with poker and blackjack and sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. There's still fun to be had. So go to betonline.com. Use the promo code MYPOD100. That's MYPOD, P-O-D, 100 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right. For our listeners, 50% off with the promo code MYPOD100, betonline.com. The fun never ends. Have some health benefits. Yeah, so some of the early studies were like, oh, meat might be bad. And then they started parsing different kind of meats, and they were like, just kidding, chicken and fish are not bad. And then they were like, 
oh, just kidding, they're actually good, you know, after time as uh, science develops and you start trying to look at all the other variables, we figure out that like, okay, those are looking pretty good. Chicken and fish are looking pretty solid. And dairy is kind of a complex one because there are studies showing it correlated with certain types of cancer. There are studies showing it correlated with decreased risk of certain types of cancer. There are studies that show, you know, high fat is correlated with cancer, but the low fat version isn't. And whenever you see literature that is that mixed, you probably are safe to say like dairy's not a terrible thing, but maybe it's not, shouldn't be my primary source of protein. Don't consume it in big amounts. There's so much of this stuff that it's like, we can't know exactly how much of the things to eat or exactly what's good or bad. But when when the literature's mixed, guess neutral. Does it also make you think when the literature is mixed that there's other factors that you can't quite pin down? That you're not like, it might be, you know, dairy's a broad thing to say, like that could be milk, it could be cheese, it could be all kinds of weird different products from different countries that might have tiny little molecules in it that affect or react with other molecules or the person eats another food that it reacts with. Like there's so many variables. You, It's really hard to pin down anything exact um, with food. And people tend to want to oversimplify it, but it's a very complex thing. And the, um, well, I'll get, I was going to dive into gut microbiome, but let's finish this Oh, first. do that. <laughs> do that. Dive into it. There's, the thing is, there's not much to dive into. It's, the field is so new. And there's, um, I actually work with a PhD in, who has, her PhD is in the gut microbiome, Gabby Fandaro. She's also at Renaissance Periodization. And I've heard her give tons of talks and she's like, eat fiber and fruits and vegetables, we don't know anything else. Because the literature just says time and time again, everyone's microbiome is different. Everyone's microbiome reacts differently to different foods. You can find elite athletes and their microbiomes will be as divergent as any population. One guy from the other will be completely different. So we just don't know enough yet to even talk about it. It's like, we don't know a lot about the brain. Yeah. And we don't, Tell it's me about just it. That's actually of, what my PhD is in neuroscience. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> it's it's like it seems like outer space, but it's yeah. inside of us. And the gut microbiome seems it to be, be kind of the same It might be even crazier, yeah, because it's like a bunch of organisms interacting, you know? Yeah, so when anybody tries to tell you they know what's going on with the gut microbiome. Not, not really. Yeah. No, not really. There's some, like, basic things that we know, but it boils, for in terms of recommendations, it boils down to eat fiber and lots of fruits and veggies. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty simple recommendation yeah. there. Yeah. Go back to this because we were talking a little about the endothelial function. Yeah. I, when they were presenting that, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, what is it? Yeah. So basically, endothelial function is how well does the lining of your arteries like contract and move blood and get... Basically, if your endothelial, endothelial function is crappy, you're not going to get enough blood to your muscles when you're training, right? So that's why eating a big fatty meal before working out is not great because you're not going to get the blood flow and the oxygen and the nutrients to your muscles that are working. So because it changes the endothelial function. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's not moving the blood in there as efficiently. Oh, okay. So that's why they always say before or after a workout is to really limit the fat consumption. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Also because fat just slows the digestion of everything else in your gut. So if you're trying to get, you know, carbs to your muscles right away, that's going to slow it down. So those are the twofold reason. To so like when that. it comes to the endothelial function and kind of the description that Game Changers was throwing, like it's changed as you're processing fat? Or right. So when, you ha- when you've eaten fat and digested it and 
the fats in your bloodstream, like being taken to your tissues, endothelial function isn't going to be as great for athletic endeavors. But that acute change isn't necessarily a long-term bad thing. Okay. So they were sort of conflating two ideas. Long-term, if your endothelial function is constantly crap and your arteries are hardened and things like that, that that's a big deal. That's what I thought when I was watching it. And I think that's what they that's were trying. That's what they were trying to overlap. They were trying to, yeah. trying to get the gray area there and trying to get For you sure. to think about that. So when I was thinking about it, immediately you're like, this – and when you're thinking about the vegan diet, I always think about the artery function and clogging it up and the plaque associated yeah. with it all. Is that Does that more or less come down to what kind of fat you're ingesting? That's, like, so that's sort of a complicated area of study still. Yeah. There's been, for a long time, we were sure that that was it. And probably for saturated fats and trans fats, that is the case. But in terms of monounsaturated, polyunsaturated not really sure if the amounts of those um, affect it. Basically, if you limit saturated fat, limit trans fat, and exercise and eat otherwise healthy. You're kind of doing all that you can yeah, do. Yeah. And then there's also a genetic component. Yeah. To oh, absolutely. It, which yeah. I think it, it's the hardest thing to accept, like, in anything, right? Yeah. Like, there's a genetic component to this. Yeah. So people are like, how do I get my kid to play in the NFL or get him a college scholarship? And You're I'm like, like well, I hope he has good genetics. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what to, like, how did you do it? And you, like, when you're telling right. your story, you don't want to be like, I got really lucky that I was just right. born with this frame and I could put muscle on and I was strong enough and fast enough. Yeah. Like, you're smart enough to become a doctor and you've worked really hard. So it's like when all of these things kind of stack up together. Right then it's, it's a good, perfect storm. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's one of the problems with anecdote is you can have these just incredible athletes who are so genetically gifted that they can do really stupid stuff. Oh, my God. And still achieve amazing things. Oh, my God. Like, stupid stuff. Yes. Like, I had guys that I saw come into the locker room every single day that were pro bowlers they were like super good at their job. They were jacked and shredded. They were eating McDonald's yeah, every day. Yeah. And you just wonder, it was like, how good could they have been? Or maybe right. could they have been better? Or right, yeah. were they just fying the way yeah, they were? Yeah, did they just like max out their genetic potential despite those things? Or yeah. could they have yeah, gone even further? Or could further? they have gone yeah. even further? Yeah. Or guys that would like drink the night before right. a game. Like go yeah. out and party the night before a game and then go out into the field right. and have just an incredible... And that's why you don't want to use anecdote because there's those genetic freaks who can do that and you probably can't. Yeah. Let me tell you what I did. It's like, no, no, no. You keep that to yourself. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Is there any truth to the claim when Dr. Dean Ornish and the Ornish studies claim that the only diet that has ever been shown to actually reverse heart disease is a plant-based one? So that claim is interesting because the studies he's talking about, the intervention was not, first of all, they weren't vegan. They had them go vegetarian. But they also had them quit smoking, start exercising, and start engaging in a stress reduction behavioral plan every week. And they never stopped and did a study of each of those individual variables. You know, like, what if we took out the stress reduction plan? Would they still have gotten better? What if we took out the vegetarian portion? Would they still have gotten better? And so... We can't conclude. So much. they didn't do it by a reduction. No, individually, they, it was like an entire yeah. lifestyle makeover. Yeah, they threw they the did. kitchen sink at the people, and it worked. And then they claim that that supports vegetarianism. And, and I'm sure quitting smoking. Yeah, I'm has sure a that didn't hurt. Drastic either, yeah. reduction <laughs> in heart disease. Yeah. Goodness gracious! So that study you get to throw out. 
So can we, and this is always a concern of mine because I've got a history of heart disease in the family, being omnivorous, can we lower our cholesterol? Absolutely. And is it important to lower our cholesterol? I guess the bad cholesterol you'd yeah, want yeah. to knock out. So you absolutely can. There are some people who it seems, based on the literature, have an easier time doing that on a vegan diet. But it's unclear as to whether that is just because of the addition of all of those fruits and vegetables and fiber. So I think if you were to, because everyone's a little bit different, if you wanted to test it yourself, if you're eating lots of fiber, eating lots of fruits and vegetables, and still having, you know, primarily white meat and fish and a little bit of red meat here and there, and you go get your blood work done and everything's good, you're probably good. Okay. If not, maybe you want to take it a step further and take red meat out all the way, experiment with removing chicken and fish. I think it's unlikely that removing chicken and fish would um, be that much help, but there is a little bit of literature showing uh, good cholesterol reductions with vegan diets. Okay. The last thing I want to hit on from a medical standpoint with this Game Changers movie is the papers they brought up highlighting the testosterone or the experiments (laughs) that they kind of did. And they had... Again, it was like the vial sample, right? right? So they were with the baseball players, and I'm not going to completely get into that. But any conclusions that can be drawn from being vegan, or any diet for that matter, and its effects on the sex hormone system? Yeah, so the, the papers that they showed, were, it's kind of silly. So there's um, testosterone, and then there's a molecule. I won't get into the great details, but it basically grabs testosterone. It, like, sequesters it away. Okay. And so in all of the studies where they saw That's increases... sex hormone binding globulin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in all the studies where they saw testosterone go up, they also saw that go up. Okay. So what that ends in is free testosterone being the same and absolutely no change. And it was the same thing with cortisol. Um, I also have... Cortisol, a, which is the inflammatory kind it's, of marker It's like a body. stress hormone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So vegan diet took down the cortisol they didn't actually there was a they didn't actually do vegan diet they did high protein and high carbohydrate diet gotcha so and they saw a change in cholesterol but they also saw a change in the analogous molecule to um the which is kind of its escort or whatever right yeah yeah so it was the same idea like they both went up and then your the free stuff available in your blood that actually affects you is the good stuff yeah (laughs) so it's essentially a net neutral yes is what we're talking about both in cortisol and in the free testosterone like net neutral between being omnivorous or being if anything they've high carb is the way the diet was done if anything carbohydrates seem to be more associated with cholesterol changes but that's when you are coupling high carb eating with stress in a bunch of different ways so it's a little more complex oh okay but rewind real quick. I'm yes. not going to go into their no, study do. in great detail, but that one really bothered me because there's such like a clear error. And that is the fact that, okay, if someone's going to attach a mach- machine to your genitals and have yes. you sleep in front of a video camera, right. <laughs> the, right. the second night you might be a little more relaxed, which might facilitate the measures that they took. And right. we have no so, idea what the guys did that day, right. what else they ate what was besides on. the burritos that right. they gave them once again. Yeah. And it was a study of three three guys. guys and once again. what they should have done really at least, I mean, it's it's still like a very limited study because it's three people, is stagger the timing. Like some of the guys get the veggie burrito first, some get the meat burrito second, just because of that 
getting accustomed yes. to the the whole situation. It was like that old balance test that people used to do when they put that little hologram sticker right, right, with right. the rubber band they on the wrist. They just like got practice and then they were better and they're like, oh. I don't know how that worked. I mean, the second time around <laughs> I put this band on and all of a sudden I have better balance. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. All right. So if people want to go vegan just to try it out, like I'm going to go back to it, I'm sure at some point, yeah. just because I do weird diet things yeah. and I'm, I've done it multiple times before. I'm sure I'll do it again. If, if I want to do that again, how do I do it right? Yeah. Like how do, how can I be correct in doing it? And I've always found like my muscle mass decreases. So I'm clearly not consuming enough protein, but like I shrink down kind of, it feels yeah. immediately. Like how do, how do I do it properly? Maintain muscle mass. So other than getting the templates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah buy my vegan templates. Buy the templates. <laughs> so for vegans for maintaining weight it's pretty easy if you're trying to lose weight it gets a lot more complicated because a lot of uh vegan proteins have carbs and fat in them so reducing your carbs and fat gets you know includes reducing your protein so it gets really complicated but if you're just trying to maintain weight sort of the same recommendations in an omnivore diet get lots of fruits get lots of veggies get lots of fiber um make sure that most of your food is unprocessed whole food and then make sure you're getting the recommended daily protein plus 20%. And okay. pay attention to your protein sources. Don't get all of your protein from lentils, for example. Make sure you mix that up with other types of protein. You can look up um, the amino acid profiles of these different foods. And you can see like, oh, this one's low on methionine. What are some foods that are high on methionine? So I can make sure that I get some of those in during the day. Got you. And there's, are there specific couplings of food that you recommend? Yeah, things like, um, I'm trying to think, of, like hummus and, and wheat pita is a good example. That's okay. a nice complementary protein matchup. Or wheat bread and peanut butter is another good matchup where you're getting the ones low in some things and the other ones high in those. And people and always say like beans and rice. Beans and rice, another go good well example. Together. Yeah. 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 That's okay. So, any supplements that you would recommend in addition to maybe kind of cover the bases? Yeah. If you're missing something or if you get low in something, what are the kind of danger zones? A lot of vegans probably should supplement B12 if they don't want to eat dirt like the, the game changers sort of recommended. <laughs> <laughs> and then also an iron supplement is often a good idea and um, omega-3 fatty acid supplement might be a good idea. Okay. So I've read before that the iron has a hard time processing unless it's paired with like, is it a vitamin C or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that can help. Does that help process yeah. it? Okay, yeah. so it's and a iron. lot of a lot of the um, supplements will come with the correct pairings. Okay, to help to facilitate. Okay, so one of the areas of your specialty, obviously, outside of this vegan template and helping people live that life, is behavior. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and changing habits or forming new habits to help kind of conform to what they say they want to get accomplished. Actually, finding tangible ways. Right. To, to bridge the gap between yeah, motivation like, and actual behavior. Yes, yeah. I want to be healthy. I know right. what I'm supposed to do. How can they get there? Like, yeah. what when you take on a client and that needs behavioral, I guess, reconstruction? Yeah. <laughs> how do you help build new habits into their life? Like, what's yeah. the first place you start? So I I like to have them usually if they come to me and their diet is just broadly unhealthy and they want to do a weight loss diet. I start with getting their diet broadly healthy and okay. then introduce the weight loss. So you don't want to try to do too many new things at once because we've all done new things. Just anecdotally, we know from experience, 
it's a pain. And it falls apart. It falls apart. Because it's too complicated yeah. all at There's once. a reason that people like start diets and end them a week later over and mm-hmm. over. When you make too massive of a change, it's just a very invasive thing. And unless you have a lot of time and energy to devote to that change, life's going to get in the way. So I usually tell t- people to make small changes and not expect perfection. One of the main things I like to have them do is if they, you know, binge eat or they have a, a particular thing that always gets in their way or they just drive through McDonald's when they're stressed is to start writing down when they do that, what precedes it, like what events trigger it, what about it makes them feel good, like what's the satisfying reward that they get, and sort of take that apart, and then start logging how, many, how often they do it, and then have their goal be like, I went to McDonald's, you know, five times this week, next week, four is it, that's it, the okay. week after, just three, so you don't, Behavior doesn't change overnight, and a lot of people expect it to and beat themselves up when they're not instantly perfect. But yeah. what you really want is to pride yourself on the, you know, the downswing of the bad habits slowly going away and be like, yes, I only went to McDonald's three times this week, you know. Um, and those should be celebrated. That's progress. It takes because, time. Because, like, some people can stop smoking cold turkey, but other people really do need, need to, to yeah, wean slow off cessation. Of those yeah. So when you're talking about that, like the, the slow, like little victories that you get along the way and breaking down the habit that you're trying to get rid of. It's like a conscious. Yeah. You're like finding ways yeah. to be more conscious. conscious. Yeah, because what happens with habits is it's sort of this paved pathway in your brain where you hit the stimulus and the response just automatically happens. And if you can stop and be aware of the stimulus, you can intercept that automatic response and drive your behavior to where your motivation is rather than where your habit is. So you're identifying the trigger. Mm-hmm. You obviously know the habit that you're trying to replace. Right. And then what feels good about that? So you have yeah. the trigger and then you have kind of the feel good. Right. And then can I replace that reward? Like maybe you drink wine every night before bed and you're trying to stop that and you're like what is it I like I like sitting on the couch and like sipping on something and relaxing so maybe try replacing it with tea or you know with tea with a little drop of melatonin in it or something like that sure so try to find a way that you can satisfy part of the reward in a healthier manner is oftentimes a good way to replace an old habit and do you find replacing it is the best way like you've got this because I guess the stimuluses don't normally go away and you kind of do want the reward but it's much easier just taking to, it out yeah. like the whole thing it's almost impossible yeah. to just it's take much out easier to replace than to remove with yeah. a healthier habit right okay yeah. so you kind of start really broad and then you start narrowing it down and giving them do you give them like additional skill sets to work on yeah like if you're trying to somebody's trying to lose say a massive amount of mm-hmm. weight you start them like broadly getting them healthier. Yeah. And then after that, do you start giving them additional skill yes, sets absolutely. to work on? Yeah. Like piece so wise? starting with just getting, you know, eating vegetables every day, eating several meals a day, each with protein, and then sort of narrow it down like, okay, now we're going to measure the protein. Now we're going to measure the carbs. You know, you go from general ideas to more and more specific up to the point, you know, it how much they want. Like if they want to have visible abs year round and stuff like you're gonna have to get really specific but if they just want to get to a healthy weight and live a normal life you don't have to go quite as crazy towards the end so you kind of uh, tailor it to their goals and their lifestyle to how far you're going to go into specification from your standpoint give me what's health 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 yeah from my standpoint i would say Health is the place where you can live a long life, stay independent, very deep into old age, 
and be happy. And I think for some people that's, you know, being able to hike mountains when they're 80. For other people, it's being able to like go on a walk with their grandchildren and not break a hip if they fall down. So I think there's a range of health health and um, part of it has to do with just having a body that's functioning properly and that can move you around and do things and think well. And part of it is how much you personally want to do with your life. All right. Now to attain health, give me your best food recommendations, like very simply. Can I give you first a non-food recommendation? Yes. Uh, I think that lifting is something that is underappreciated as a huge, huge factor in health and in longevity and in, you know, being able to stand up when you're old and things like that that are really important, bone health, all that. So a lot of times I actually start my clients with lifting and then move them into the diet portion. How hard is that to get somebody into lifting who you hasn't know, lifted before? It's easier than getting someone to stick to a diet. Because, yeah, you go, like, go getting them into the gym, like, that habit, maybe you'll have them going to the gym three or four times a week, right? That's like three or four instances in a week where they have to do something compared to like five times a day. Yes. And you, they typically don't have to change. If they've never lifted before, they don't have to change their diet that much and they start seeing physical changes. And that just sort of gets the motivation ball rolling. Yeah. And then like adding the diet is just like, oh, how much further can I go? Because they're already motivated. They already see that something works. And um, it's and you're doing something that's health focused. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I want to compound. Yeah, that. I want to add to it. Right. Yeah, let's yeah. add to that. Okay, so go so, go to the food recommendation. Food After the lifting, which I completely agree with. And I think maintaining a healthy amount of muscle mass, especially yeah. as you get older, is super important. Yes. Like super. for older folks, I, I watch like people get frail yeah. as they get it's older. It's so sad. And it's, it is. it's large. I mean, eventually we're all going to get frail, right? But yeah. you can definitely extend the part of your life that you're not frail substantially with lifting. And it doesn't take that much. Now give me the, the, food, the food recommendations that you would go on top Absolutely. of Absolutely. I would say make sure that 85% of your food comes from healthy sources. So whole food, plants, veggies, fruits, fiber, things like that, get 0.8, we want to get specific, 0.8 to 1.2 grams in protein per pound of lean body mass per day. Okay. Never go under. So lean body mass, subtract your body fat percentage. Yeah. Or you can yes. just use your body weight for simplicity. You'll get okay. a little extra, but no big deal. Um, a if little you're, extra is not going to hurt. Yeah. If you're super overweight, you might want to try to find out your lean body mass. Otherwise, you'll just be eating a massive amount of protein that's not necessary oh, yeah. and might be oppressive. Um, never go below about 0.3 grams times lean body mass a day in fats because that can start to mess with your hormones and a bunch of other things. Um, be really bad for your health. Carbs are just what you need. If you don't want to eat carbs, you don't really have to. They can be great for athletics. Um, pair those with how much activity you're doing and try to keep most of them um, healthier, you know, uh, whole grains and sweet potatoes and fruits and things like that. And then the other 15% of your diet, have fun and enjoy your life. That's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I really enjoy that. All right. So we can move forward from here from this Game Changers documentary, <laughs> yes. which I do think was like a huge, I don't want to call it a disruptor, but it, yeah, no, it, it but it did. There was a like, ripple. <laughs> it was all over the place. Yeah. I've got people at work that are coming to me. Like our boss is now spreading all the propaganda. She's like, you got to go watch Game Changers. <laughs> change your life. I mean, yeah. look what it does. And I'm like, no, no, no. You like the science is bad on that. How can we as people, as listeners, how can we, better discern between 
slick marketing, which I think yeah. is rampant everywhere, and yeah. like all, and especially in the health and fitness world, it's it's rampant everywhere. Yeah. Propaganda, and then real science. When it comes to the movies like this, or when it comes to marketing in general, I mean, how can we better discern? How do we know yeah. as as common folk? I would say so. Delving into like could say like search google scholar but you know it takes some training to learn to read to learn to read a scientific article and there you need to read you know i read 200 to write this over 200 to write this critique and that's very time consuming um so i would say just be very skeptical if anything is sounds very black and white or very extreme or too fast or too easy or says hack anywhere in it it's probably bs um i think that you can talk to your doctor. You can buy maybe a nutrition textbook, something like that. It has a lot more uh, fundamental, solid uh, information in it than you're going to get from Instagram or a Netflix documentary. And go read your critique because I'm telling you, like <laughs> people out there, go read Dr. Mel Davis's critique at Game Changers because, yes, you did pick it apart, but there's also you have basically funneled all of the good science like down into heart health, cancer health, like longevity, but also performance aspects in there too. Like for me, it just kind of cleared everything up. It's like, and it kind of takes it back like to what we thought we knew a long time ago before all of this new dieting kind of came in. It's like, have a lot of fruits and a lot of veggies and a lot of whole grains, have a lot of fiber, have good lean proteins into your diet and it's all good yeah, and then limit pretty simple lim- limit red meat and processed meat yeah like that was kind of the summation that i took away from your entire critique is like we have way over complicated right. this thing and it's not that complicated yeah. when it comes down to what we know is good it's pretty simple it's good yeah, yeah. stick with it yeah. dr mel davis thank you thank so you much. so much that was fascinating i'm telling you people go read the critique <laughs> it is a textbook in itself you're gonna learn a ton thank you for your time Thank you. What if I told you you could have a tax filing expert be your co-pilot for free? Sounds good, right? When you file with Tax Act, you'll get expert assistance from a real person, and it's free with all returns. They'll answer your questions and even help you with a quick review before you file. But a good thing doesn't last forever. You must file by April 7th to take advantage of this incredible offer. So hurry to TaxAct.com, where you file for less and get more. Restrictions apply. See TaxAct.com for details.